Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Great to see you this morning. We're glad that you're with us. Uh, to give you an update on my grandson, just want to let you know, uh, they're at the hospital this morning. So we're hoping, we're hoping to hear something today. So anyway, Silas James, and so we're pretty excited about it here right here at Christmas. I know the preacher gets to talk about his all the time, so I'm going to take just a second talking about mine. And I'll have pictures. I will have pictures soon. We're glad you're here. Welcome to our service this morning. We're glad that you're with us, and we, we want to worship today. Amen? Amen? And so we want to listen to a message God has for us to, to sing, to hear people sing about the Lord this morning. And in a little bit, we're going to have an opportunity to give back to missions. Today is our Lottie Moon March for Missions. And if you would like to give this morning, we do have a goal uh, as a church of 70000 and so in just a little bit, we'll have a song. You can come down and present your gift there in the manger if you would like to do so. But uh, thank you for praying about that and giving. We leave that open usually through the month of January. And so there'll be more opportunities to give to that. All of that money that we collect, 100% of it goes to our missionaries that are on our foreign fields. And so we want to ask you to pray and give a gift uh, accordingly. But thank you for doing that ahead of time. Uh, if you are a guest of ours, we ask you to please take one of the care cards located there in the pew rack, and we would love for you to fill that in and put your information in. If there's anything you would like as far as information from us, you can check those places, and we'll try to get that in your hands and send it to you, and someone will contact you uh, and let you know about those things. On the back of the care card, if you have a prayer request, and that's for everyone, uh, take a minute to fill that in. You can also place that in one of the boxes on the round table. All the cards go there as you leave. Uh, you can leave those in those boxes on the round table uh, as you go. But again, thank you for being with us. Uh, just being this week, being the week of Christmas, there is no Tuesday night epic or Wednesday night services. And so just remember that. But we do have a special Christmas Eve service on Friday at 9 o'clock. And would love for you to come. You can bring the kids in their jammies. Or if you want to come in your jammies, um, just come. We'll be here at 9 o'clock. That's always a special time for our church family. And so we want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Also, your Christmas cards are available in the uh, mailbox. As you leave the sanctuary over near the men's restroom, there's a, a large box over there with Christmas cards. Please go by uh, and get those. And then also, if you would like, uh, maybe you and maybe another family, some people like to get together and do some caroling this week. We have several caroling routes that were left over from our Christmas party last Sunday night which was a huge success, by the way, if you came. Thank you to everybody that had a part in that. But uh, we have some caroling routes left if you want to come by. Um, I'll be at the table this morning out on the info desk. I would love to give those out. Some great visits we'd love to make right here at Christmas. And if you can make a joyful noise, you can go and do that. Just grab some of those. You can see me back there. Also, if you ordered a poinsettia, hopefully you received uh, one of the lists in memory or in honor of uh, folks as you came through to know those but if you would take your poinsettia after this service is over you can take that with you uh, right after this service and then this morning we have some special guests with us and I'm going to ask Mark and Katie Manning and their two girls to come up on stage with us uh, if you would um, just want to introduce them to you uh, Katie was is Manning now but was Katie Hooks when uh, I was youth pastor and I guess she said she graduated in 04 so she was here while I was youth pastor the entire time, and uh, she went off uh, and became a missionary. And so let me read some information about them. Mark and Katie served with Reach Global Crisis Response Ministry in Lake Charles, Louisiana. 
They're ministering to families who were impacted by hurricanes Laura and Delta, and they also had a historic flood in 2021 this year. Mark is the construction supervisor while Katie gets to stay home and raise these beautiful children. Uh, Ruthie is four. Wave at us, Ruthie. Can you wave at us? Yep. And then uh, Becca is three. You can wave, Becca. Yep, okay. And then Josiah is, wasn't feeling real good this morning. He's one years old and staying with Grandma. So they partner with local churches to host and coordinate mission teams helping with the repair projects uh, there in Louisiana so they can also share the gospel and serve the people in their area. They're not in Charlotte a whole lot. So we thought, you know what, this morning, if they're here, we want to at least let you see a face. They're paired up with one of our young couples classes. And so uh, they were there this morning for a community group. We are able to share their ministry uh, with them so that class can be praying for them and support them that way. But uh, let's give them a hand for being here. And we want to wish them a Merry Christmas. And Mark is going to come and open our time uh, in prayer this morning. Thanks, Kevin, and thanks for the opportunity to be here. Let's pray. Our great God, we just uh, worship you this morning, uh, Lord, as we just uh, consider uh, the sacrifice, um, the humility you've shown uh, coming to earth as, as a baby. Uh, God, we just give you praise. Uh, Lord, thank you for the time to, to celebrate that together as uh, the body of Christ here. Uh, Lord, we just give you praise. May you be honored in our service today and uh, exalted and lifted high, Lord. We just give you thanks and praise in your son's name. Amen.
Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent as we continue our spiritual journey in the preparation and celebration of Christmas. During the first week, we were reminded of the hope and expectation we have in the coming of Christ. In the second week, we were reminded of our faithful anticipation for the coming of Christ. And last, and last week, our third week, we were reminded of the joyful celebration and the honor of coming of Christ. We cannot fully understand why Christ would come into the world without understanding the love that God has for us. God's love is not contingent on our love for him, nor in our obedience to him. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world to save us from the world. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we acknowledge the love and devotion that Christ has for us. Such love that Christ would leave heaven to enter a world of sin. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. But humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This week, we will celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas Day. But the birth is just the beginning of the promise. The promise is fulfilled in the love of God through his son. Because of love, the baby in the manger will take on the sin of the world. Because of love, the baby in the manger will endure death on the cross. Because of love, Christ has reconciled man into a right relationship with God. Therefore, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, let us praise God for the love and devotion shown through the coming of Christ. Amen. As you stand together, we're going to sing, and as we sing, this is your opportunity to bring your Lottie Moon gifts and place them in the manger if you so wish to do that. Let's sing together. Fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. 
praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. To reveal the kingdom come and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake you from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored and the church of Christ was born in the spirit of the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not live shall not flame by his blood and in his name in his free I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected
When I first came, I thought it was capable for the task. There were so many different things that I had to die to and realize I have no power to do these things. I'm just asking God to do for them what I cannot do. Show yourself to your people. Show up. We wanted to go to where there was lostness, northern Mozambican coast. The centuries of Islam that were there, witchcraft. My first thought is, what have I done? How am I going to be affected? This is the beginning of a battle. We came in 2004. With my one-year-old firstborn. All of our kids come and minister together with us. Children open the door to build those relationships with the women, how to share their faith, how to reach out to their families, where it was much more close to the gospel. But there is a sacrifice involved. Witchcraft in this culture is what sustains their life. Who you marry, your health, whether or not you catch fish. Infant mortality rate is high. They live in fear of something happening to their children. When people come to Christ, for them it is a life and death decision. Is this worth my life? Adelina was a very well-known wish doctor. After about a year and a half, we're getting ready to pray, and Adelina just says, I want to get rid of my witchcraft and take down the wish doctor hut. So Sunday afternoon, after church, when that wall fell down, it was just a complete release to God. I no longer need to be afraid of these things. Our work in the local village has spread across the bay through the influence of, of family members. They had made professions of faith. We're starting to see national believers go out as missionaries through persecution, through hard times. God has galvanized their faith far beyond anything that I could teach. Be still and know that I'm God. Adelina starts telling her story about how she has new life in Christ. God has been faithful to show himself in ways that I never would have expected him to show himself. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit. That tide is turning and momentum is building that God's kingdom is coming to this coastline. Amen. Let me remind you that a Lottie Moon offering uh, remains open through the end of January that you can give your gifts. And uh, let me thank you ahead of time for your continued generosity year in and year out giving to Lottie Moon. Our missionaries uh, depend upon it. If you receive the email, uh, the church email that goes out each Friday, you'll notice in that that I have posted some statistics of what your uh, Lottie Moon gifts accomplished last year. So let me encourage you to go back and look at that free uh, Friday email update uh, once again. It's quite impressive the way God uh, uses us together as we give uh, to support the missionaries on the field and then in turn what God does in and through them to bring glory to his name. So thank you again uh, for giving to that.
Uh, let me invite you to find Luke chapter 2 in your copy of the scripture this morning. This, of course, is the tradition. Luke 2 is the traditional Christmas story. If, uh, if you get together at family gatherings and somebody says, read to us the traditional Christmas story, you would want to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. So let's do that now. And the title of the message this morning is, Fear Not, God is with us. Folks, that's something we very much need to hear today, don't we? Fear not, God is with us. So let's stand together and read, beginning there in verse 1. Luke writes, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Father, we are so grateful that you condescended to us. Lord, you saw us in our fallen condition, desperate, in need, without hope. And there was nothing that any of us could do 
to justify ourselves in your sight. Lord, we did not have peace with you. And likewise, we did not have peace with one another. And you intervened and did the impossible. Because with God, all things are possible. And you sent your Son in the flesh, yet without sin, to die for our sin. You raised him from the dead on the third day. Lord, that we might be forgiven and justified, reconciled to you, and have a home with you throughout all of eternity. And so, Lord, this Christmas season, once again, with our lips, with our hearts, with every fiber of our being, we say, thank you. And, Lord, may it be that not simply with our lips do we give you thanksgiving and praise, but with our lives as well. Speak to us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Folks, I want you to think with me this morning about all the times in the Bible that the birth of a son made a tremendous difference. You know, first there was Seth, whom God gave to Adam and Eve in place of Abel, who Cain killed. And we know that the godly line continued through Seth. And then, of course, there was Isaac, born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. Then there was Jacob. The Bible says that God loved Jacob and despised Esau, his twin brother. Then there was Moses and Samson and Samuel, and David, and Solomon, and the list goes on. That by no means is an exhaustive list. And then if we were to come down to more modern times, I would want you to think with me about the year 1809. The international scene was a mess, much like the international scene today. Napoleon was sweeping across Austria and blood was flowing all over the continent. And it looked as though Napoleon might be the first since Alexander the Great to conquer the then known world. Now at that time nobody was thinking about babies being born. But there were some very significant births. For example, William Gladstone was born that year. He was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. That same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife. The child would one day greatly affect the literary world. On the American continent, there was Oliver Wendell Holmes, born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And not far away, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, though very tragic, life. It was also in 1809 that a physician named Darwin and his wife gave birth to a son they would name Charles. And we know many of the unfortunate philosophies we continue to hear today because of Charles Darwin. 
And again on the same year in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, there was a baby born by the name of Abraham Lincoln. Now folks, if there had been broadcast at the time, I'm sure one thing you would not have heard was words like these. The destiny of the world is being shaped uh, on a on an Austrian battlefield. That's the words you would have heard rather. What you would not have heard was that all of human history is actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America. And you know that reminds me of what we read of here in Luke chapter 2. For the world the big news would have been this decree or this census that's been ordered. And the purpose of this census was probably for taxation, Roman taxation. And that was the buzz, that was the news going on. Everybody was busy about their travels going to register in towns from which their family line came. But while the world was focused upon that, there was a far more significant event taking place. An event that was out of sight, out of mind, we might say. And it's the event that we've just read about here in Luke chapter 2. You see, God was at work in the grandest of ways. And men, for the most part, did not even know it. And you know what that says to us? God's ways are higher than our ways. Amen? Folks, what we see is the announcement to these shepherds We see here an announcement of good news to the world. That men, whether Jew or Gentile, we don't have to live in fear because a Savior has been born to us. And what is it that we need most of all? We need a Savior. Why? Because we're not right with God. We need someone who can put us right with God. And so God sent the very one who could do just that. You know, it makes me think of the words of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 7, 14, which says, Behold, the virgin will be with child, and you are to call him Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. Jesus is fully God, but in the incarnation he's also becoming fully man. He has existed eternally with the Father. There's never been a time that he did not exist. John says, for example, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you know what that means? That means that Bethlehem was not the beginning for the Son of God. It was the beginning of his humanity. Folks, what an amazing event is being recorded here. First of all, I want you to see with me this morning God's providential plans of the earthly birth of his son. Read again with me beginning there in verse 1. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. 
in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. You know what folks, the Bible is very specific as to the fact that history is not an accident. God is the one writing all of history. God is providential over all things. And you know, it may be that this point right here is one of the points where the views of the secular world and the views of the Christian collide the most. Because to the evolutionist, they would say that things just happen from random processes. But in the scripture, we don't see any such thing. Everything in the world is being carefully orchestrated and carefully planned. And nowhere do we witness the providence of God more at work than in the birth narratives of Jesus. God is in charge of all of these arrangements. I want you to remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4. He said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Here's a huge difference between Christianity and major world religions. You see, the Bible includes historical markers. There are names given, specific names and events and places. Things that are verifiable in history which tell us that we're not simply reading fable or myth here. I want you to think of what Paul said there again in Galatians 4 in the fullness of time. And then you look back at our story today and you see how this is taking place. How God has orchestrated all of this and God and God alone is bringing this to pass. It was a difficult trek of over 80 miles. And folks remember... They were traveling 80 miles on foot and riding on a donkey. And all of this, ladies, while Mary was nine months pregnant. Can you imagine something like this? In verse 2, Luke is very careful to set the date for us. And, and granted, this is not an easy matter to settle. Because there's some evidence that suggests that Quirinius was governor of Syria on two different occasions. First of all, from 6 to 4 B.C. And then once again from 6 to 9 A.D. And so the birth of Jesus Christ was not earlier than 6 B.C. And it was not later than 4 B.C. Now, as I just said, Luke is careful to ensure his readers comprehend that the birth of Jesus is firmly rooted in, in history. This is not a child's fairy tale. This is not a once upon a time fairy tale. It's not fiction that took place in a land far, far away. This is real. It's history. 
Now, can you imagine how, how Joseph and Mary must have felt? I mean, think about getting on a donkey and, and knowing that you're going all the way down from Galilee uh, down to Bethlehem in Judea, this long trek. And, and here Mary is, great with child, nine months pregnant. I remember when our kids were born. I mean, when Connie went into labor, you better be ready. With Melinda, she woke me up about 5 o'clock in the morning. Her water had broken. And we jumped in the car. And you see, we had 40 minutes to go to the hospital. We had to go down one mountain, hit 220, go up another mountain to Roanoke, Virginia, then hit a major boulevard there and, and go all the way over to Salem, Virginia. And the whole time going down that mountain, Connie's saying, the baby's coming. I'm not going to make it. The baby's coming. The, babe, the baby's here. I mean, you, you want to talk about putting the pedal to the metal. And then over in Gastonia with Brian. When Brian was born in Gastonia, about 3.30 one afternoon, her water broke. And I called the clinic, the, 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 the doctor that she went to, the OBGYN. And I said, her water's broke. She's in labor. And they said, ah, oh, no, you've got time. We saw Connie this morning and she was nowhere near being ready to deliver. Bring her here first. We'll examine her and then we'll, we'll make a determination if you need to go to the hospital. Well, when they examined her, the doctor's eyes got as big as saucers. She looked up at me and she said, you get her to the hospital right now. And I'm right in behind you. And sure enough, Brian was born just like that. Can you imagine what Joseph and Mary must have been thinking? Maybe some of the fears, some of the anxiety, 80 miles. And you know, it may appear that Caesar Augustus is directing the events here. But you know what? A far greater ruler is the one who's the ruler of the universe. God was directing this scene and God is working through this decree. This massive census was God's way of getting Mary and Joseph in the right place at the right time for Jesus to be born. You see what's going on here is God is fulfilling his word because the scripture had promised some 700 plus years earlier that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Listen to Micah 5 too, where, where the prophet says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, when goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And that is such a specific prophecy, because you see, there were two Bethlehems. The prophet Micah said, Bethlehem Ephratah. That's the one down in Judea. The other Bethlehem was up in Galilee. And so God is using this census to get Mary and Joseph from Galilee all the way down to the proper Bethlehem. And incidentally, the, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. Isn't that interesting? The one who is the bread of life is born in a place called the house of bread. God waited through history into this precise moment, this fullness of time. 
Probably in your history classes, you've read about the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The world was fairly much at peace at this time because of the strength of Rome. Rome was such a dominant world power, nobody messed with her. And so there was peace in the world. And also through the Romans, they, they, they constructed a road system going all over the ancient road. You can still travel to places today in the world. And those same stones, those same roads are still there today. You think our roads would be there 2,000 years later? I think not. And the Romans even had a phenomenal postal system. I mean, talk about the fullness of time. God is engineering things in such a way so that when the greatest thing that's ever happened in the world takes place, it won't remain private. The news of this birth, the news of this Savior will be able to go across the then known world. You see how amazing God is in his providential arrangements. Folks, can I take, you, take a moment to remind you of Psalm 139? David in Psalm 139 talks about God's watch care over his life. And you know, King David goes so far as to say that God knew all of his days before he had even lived the first day. Think of how amazing that is. The providence of God. Folks, aside from the miracle of the incarnation of Christ, <clears throat> just in general, you and I can rest assured that God is in control. God's in control of all things. God's in control of your life. You might be looking at some things in your life right now thinking, my life is a mess. How did I get How did these things ever even happen? I want you to know that God is in control of things that happen. And I'm not saying he's the author of sin if some of those things are the cause for your mess. But I am saying God is able to use all things to bring about his plans and purposes for your life. Amen? We serve a God who is providential. He's in charge. We look at our world today and what a mess the world's in. So much violence, so much division, so much anger. But you know what? Things are happening. Even things we read about today, things are happening just as God said they would happen. I mean, you read 2 Timothy chapter 3 about how bad the world is going to get before Christ returns. And what are we seeing? We're seeing things get worse. God has said all of this. And you and I, this Christmas season, don't need to lose sight of that fact that God is providential. He's the real one in charge. Not the politicians. Aren't you glad of that? God's the one in charge. And I want you to notice the contrast being set up here between God and Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And he was the first Caesar to be called Augustus, which means holy or revered. It was a name reserved for the gods. One inscription even called him the savior of the world. They wanted to make him like a god. 
So here was Augustus making this political decree, thinking he was God, while all the times, uh, all the time, he's just a pawn in the hands of the true and the living God. And the irony in all this: here's a man thinking he is God or can be like God, and here's the true God who's clothing himself in flesh, becoming man. The contrast here could not be more profound. Joseph and Mary, they finally arrive in Bethlehem. And, and you know, everywhere they look, there's this no, fake, no vacancy sign. I, I know you've got an image in your mind riding through some small towns, neon lights, vacancy or no vacancy, right? And we think that's how it must have been. No, that's not really the way it was. And don't also, don't think of Joseph going up to a hotel counter and a grumpy old hotel host is behind the counter saying, what do you want? We don't have any rooms left. Keep moving. Don't read modern times back into the biblical text like that. But where, where in Bethlehem was Jesus born? All we know that he, is that he was laid in a manger, which was a feed box. For livestock. And that's why we assume he was born in a barn. And most nativity scenes have a wooden stable. But again in keeping with the times it was probably a cave in the side of a limestone hill. Their stables would be a cave, an entryway carved out. And you would go into a room and there would be a lower room where the livestock would be kept and they would get them in at night to protect them from wild beasts, from predators. Probably a setting like that. And a manger. In all probability, the manger is not a wooden manger like down front today. If, if you research what mangers in, in the first century world in and around Judea were like, they were large pieces of stone, some of them about the size of your coffee table at home. A big block, rectangular block of stone. And on the inside was chiseled out a big bowl. And, and that was a manger. That's where they would put feed for the livestock. That was a manger. And that's where they laid the baby Jesus. In a manger, a feeding trough. As I said last week, things are done so humbly. You know, you think of Mary and Joseph. They're nobodies from a nowhere place. They're just poor peasants. Why in the world did God do things this way? Well, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Think about the, how prophetic this is, too, about no room in the inn. Bethlehem probably had one inn. That was all. No room. Here's Jesus, the one who created the world. You see, Paul says in Colossians 1 
that it was through Jesus, that Jesus was the agent of creation. Jesus was the agent of all of creation. Here's the one who has created everything. And yet, when he's born there in Bethlehem, there's no room for him. There's no place for him. The one who is the rightful owner of everything, there's no place for him. How many sermons have we heard on that probably in modern times? No room for Jesus because people are still going about their busy everyday lives and they don't have time, they don't have room for Jesus. Think of all the elements at work here in Luke chapter 2. And again, folks, it ought to be a testimony that God can be trusted. He can be fully trusted with absolutely every single detail of your life. Folks, the world is not out of control in one sense of the word. Because things are happening just as God said. Uh, just listen to what what Isaiah said back in Isaiah chapter 40 because sometimes today we say God do, do you not know where I am do you not see what I'm going through do you not see the test that I'm going through do you not see the hardship do you not see the struggles that I'm, I'm having here and you know that the, the people of Judah said the same thing in Isaiah 40 uh, God says, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Just previous to that, he says, lift up your eyes on high and see the one who created all of these stars the one who leads forth their host by number he calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power not one of them is missing everything on a night a pitch black night when you look up and see all the stars God made every single one of them God sees you God knows what you're up against. God knows exactly what you're facing. Folks, I want you to understand in the Christmas narrative, we see that God, God is the divine uh, conductor of all that is going on here. A second thing I want you to say, God includes the lowly and humble of the earth to receive the greatest news of all. We see that beginning in verse 8. Now think of this for a moment. Here's a birth not meant to be an announcement to the high and mighty of the world, but a birth that God chooses that is to be announced to shepherds first of all people. Again, not what we would expect. No child born into the world at this time would have probably had lower prospects for life from a human point, point of view. And yet we know that no greater birth has ever occurred. And when this birth happened, it was announced to shepherds. No accident. Shepherds were very important in Jewish life. 
They were herders. They kept livestock. This is why Joseph told his brothers when they got down to Egypt, said, tell Pharaoh you're, you're shepherds. The Egyptians despise shepherds, but they'll give you the land of Goshen. Ask for the land of Goshen because this will be fitting for your lifestyle. They were herders. They were sheep herders. But they were also shepherds in a more professional sense. There were the family shepherds, the community shepherds, but professional shepherds as well who had moved throughout the land keeping some of the sheep. In fact, it's believed that the temple hired shepherds to tend sheep in the fields outside of Bethlehem because remember in the temple sacrificial system it required a whole bunch of sheep they had a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice every day and so there were shepherds out in the field tending sheep and it's like God is saying to these shepherds in and around Bethlehem you keep lambs that are sacrificed at the temple but I'm going to let you be the, some, some of the first ones to see the true lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world amazing a message to outcast shepherds were humble they, they were not even allowed in the professional courts of the day because of the way they lived out in the fields they were seen as thieves they would go around as nomads and sometimes the lines were blurred to things they would take from some people's property and then because they lived in the fields they couldn't keep all the ceremonial cleansing laws to go into the temple and do, do things and yet these are the first ones that this proclamation of the birth of Christ goes to so again, we see the providence of God in this. How amazing he looks after all the details of it. How he orchestrates events to, to fulfill all of prophecy. And then how he sends this message through the angel, first of all, to shepherds, to those who are nobodies. You ever feel like a nobody? You ever feel like, God see me? God notice me? I mean... I'm, I'm just a nobody. The greatest news of all came first to nobodies. Aren't you glad of that? Now, look at the proclamation by the angel. Thirdly, I want you to see God's message to the world. Don't miss this. Beginning in verse 10, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, Savior who is Christ the Lord. Look at this message. Let's break it down. What do we see first of all? The angel tells them what? Do not what? Fear. Do not fear. You think an angel coming to you might invoke fear? If an angel showed up with, to you today and you knew it was an angel, you think you'd say, Hey, bro, let's go down to Starbucks, grab a cup of coffee. You would, you would be 
shaking in your boots, you would be so fearful. And I bet they were too. But notice what the angel says to them. You don't need to be afraid. Do not fear. Think of that message for today. Do not fear. So many people have a fear of living. They have a fear of dying. I mean, you look at all the fear around us in the nation and the world today. Some people are absolutely paralyzed by fear today. Fear is crippling everything about their lives. One of the most common commands in the Bible to God's people is we don't have to live in fear. Now I know some popular Bible preachers have said there's 365 commands of God in the Bible. Don't fear one for every day. Actually, there's not. I mean, if you include all the references to fear and whatever the phrase might be implying, yeah, you would get to that many and even more. But if you want to look at commands to fear not, you'd be more down in the range of 80, 85, 90. Still, a phenomenal amount of commands in the Bible that we don't have to live in fear. I want to read just one occasion. Psalm 46. The psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. You hear what he's saying if everything in the world comes unglued we will not fear because we know the maker of heaven and earth we know the one who's in charge of it all if life comes unraveled if the worst happens to us in life we don't have to live in fear because the believer knows that his or her life is in the hands of almighty God God's not going to erase all of our problems today. I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me. But he makes things so that we don't have to be paralyzed with fear. Because you know what fear says? Fear says, I, I'm on my own. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. But faith says, no, you're not on your own. You're God's child. Your name is written in his book. He knows the very hairs on your head. He has all of your days numbered. You don't have to live in fear. You're not on your own. I want to say to somebody here today, if all of your hope, if all of your hope right now is in a fallen world, then yes, I can promise you there's fear in your life. And I bet you that's exactly what you're experiencing. But aren't you glad we serve a God who sent a Savior and all of our hope is not in a fallen world and what happens? Do not fear. And then the second part of this message, good tidings of great joy, even in the midst of a dark world, God gives joy. The angel announced good tidings of great joy to all. How in the world could there be joy in a world ruled by a, a power like Rome at this time? They were brutal. How can there be joy in a world like ours? Because of a baby, the Savior of the world, 
who's been born. Everybody thought taxation was the big news when Jesus was born. But a young Jewish woman, probably not more than 12 to 15 years of age, held in her arms the greatest news of all, the birth of a Savior. I've used this quote before with you. I think it bears repeating. A.W. Tozer. What, what a writer. Wow. A.W. Tozer says, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Think of that. Your greatest problem. Outside of Christ, you were separated from a holy God. No hope. And nothing you could do to correct your situation. God in Christ did what you and I are incapable of doing. Matthew chapter 1 says, She shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He saves us from our sin. He's our Wonderful Counselor, our Mighty God, our Everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. You know what the scripture is saying, folks? Jesus Christ supplies every need that you and I have. The deepest needs we... You see, we don't even know what our real needs are oftentimes. We look at things in the world and think, I need this and I need that and I need more of this and I need something. You know, we look around us. So oftentimes we don't see what our deepest needs really are. We need peace with God. We need forgiveness. We need His wisdom and direction in our lives. We need strength for the living of today and tomorrow. God gives us all of that and more. God meets our deepest needs. And He meets our deepest needs through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, I want you to see today, the best news of all has to be shared. It came to pass, verse 15 says, When the angels had gone from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart and the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told them 
Folks, imagine the confirmation this must have been for Mary. Because remember when the angel had first appeared to Mary and told her she was going to give birth to, to God's son. She would have probably never guessed in that moment that she and Joseph were going to have to make that long trek. They were going to get there to Bethlehem. There was going to be no place for them. I mean, when you think of things, how they went surrounding the birth of Jesus from a human perspective, ladies, just think about it. If you're the one about to give birth, things couldn't have been much worse, right? And Mary was probably thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. This angel appeared to me, I'm going to give birth to the one who's going to be the Messiah, and then all this has happened, and you know... Maybe I was wrong. And then the shepherds show up. And then probably as much as two years later, the wise men show up. The shepherds are saying what they're saying. Mary, we were out in the fields and all of a sudden the heavenly host, the angels are out there talking to us and the angels telling us to come and investigate and, and then the, the months and months later the wise men showing up. I mean, what if you're Mary and you're hearing shepherds and wise men, all these folks saying these things. It had to have been a confirmation in her heart. I don't know if Mary needed confirmation. I'm not saying I know she needed it. But I'm saying if she did need it, this would have, this would have surely been confirmation. And then look at what they do. These shepherds. We're told that they go out and they make known what has just been told to them. What is that, folks? That's witness. What do we do when we witness? We're to give a testimony of what we have seen and known about the Lord. People say, I can't share my faith. Sure you can. You can tell your testimony, what you've seen and experienced, right? That's what a witness does. And that's what these shepherds go out and do. You don't have to be a theologian to be a witness. Just tell what you know about the Lord. That's what these shepherds are here doing. And then there's meditation. All who heard it wondered. And Mary ponders all of these things in her, in her heart. And then there's the praise. The shepherds are going back and, and they're glorifying and, and, and praising God. Folks, you look at all of the responses that happen here and... Surely these responses ought to be representative of how you and I respond. We should tell others. We should meditate and dwell on the great things that God has done. Do you ever take time out of the busy Christmas season just to kind of sit back each day and reflect in your devotional time and meditate on the great things that God has done? And then there was all of this worship and praise going on. Shouldn't that be our response too? Because a Savior has been born. And what do I need? And what do you need? A Savior. Worship and praise because a Savior has been born. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray.
Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just reflect again on the tremendous providence of God that we see here. Do you look at the world today and you've lost hope or you look at your life and you've lost hope and you, you just don't see how, how you can make it through some things? Lay your life today in the hands of Almighty God who's able to direct your steps. And he's the God who's able to work all things together for the good of those who love him. He's a providential God. Put your life in his hands and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Lord, you arranged all of this. Even, even fulfilling prophecies that were told hundreds and hundreds of years before. Lord, you can surely take care of me. Put your life in his hands. Is there somebody here today that needs to come to him trusting him for the first time? Lord, I've made a mess out of things. I put my life in your hands. I call upon the name of the Lord and I ask you, Lord, to save me and take control of my life from this moment forward. I'm going to invite you in just a minute to come forward confessing Christ. How about your response? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What difference is it making in your life? Are you telling others what you've experienced through Christ? Are you sharing the good news? Are you living as somebody who's not living in fear all the time, but instead in faith? Do you meditate on the great things God's done for you? Do you praise His name and worship Him just every day in your devotion time because He's worthy is there praise and devotion and worship? There should be. Father, we read the Christmas story and we proclaim with our lips what a mighty God we serve. And we don't have to fear because you are with us. And Lord, somebody here needs to hear that this morning. You're with them. Lord, help us to live as a people that the world would see us. And know that a change has taken place. That they'd be able to say, you know, there goes a man, there goes a woman who's, who's not trusting in the same things everybody else is trusting in. They've got a higher hope, a better hope. Lord, may that be seen in our lives. Lord, you put people around us every day who are living in fear. Lord, help us to see them. Help us to hear them. And help, help us to tell them 
the greatest thing of all that could ever happen to them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.